Cinema Guild is proud to present The Wild Pear Tree from Palme d'Or winner Nuri Bilga Ceylan. Says Bilga Ibiri in The Village Voice, Ceylan delivers what might be his funniest, most politically poignant work yet. The Wild Pear Tree is now playing at Film Forum. Pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment, with features on Jean-Luc Godard's The Image Book and Aretha Franklin's Amazing Grace, and a special section on the best films of the year, plus reviews of the latest releases. Subscribe today at filmcomment.com. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. My name is Nick Rapold. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Film Comment, and we're here for another edition of our Sundance podcast series in Park City. Uh, it's the end of the night, um, and this is a very special edition. Um, I'm very pleased to be joined by... Amy Talbin from Film Comment. And Manola Dargis from The New York Times. So we are... We are mustering all our energies after a day, full day of movie going. And I, I, does anyone want to have general comments about the festival so far? Which people... I just, once again, <laughs> I do regret that Robert Redford did not surf because then we'd be in Hawaii <laughs> as opposed to Park City, which I'm sure is a very nice place to live. Yeah. But as you slide along at 12 o'clock in 12 degree weather, you say, Bob, why didn't you surf? Why didn't you surf? <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ! Is it, is it all because of downhill, or what was that movie called? <laughs> I, yeah, I think no, so. but he he bought his plot of land long before yeah. that. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So. But it's just like, oh my God! I mean, it's just yeah. it's ridiculous. Yeah, and it's it's something like twelve yes. or thirteen, you know. Yes, Manolo, but think of it this way: you're spoiled. In New York tonight, it is six degrees. Okay, boo hoo hoo. I live in Los Angeles, and I'm ha- and I'm not going to apologize for the very nice weather. Eventually, I'll die in an earthquake. Okay. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, we we are, there are compromises we must always make for cinema. Um, sacrifices and compromises. Sacrifices and compromises. I mean, it's it's been a sort of mixed festival, in my experience. But I don't know. I I think we can all agree that one movie was. Definitely very satisfying, at least. That, for me, at least, was The Souvenir. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if anyone wants to do a little plot sketch. Off. Okay. Um, it is a... It is Oddly, it's part one of two, um, which is already kind of cool, considering the story. Do you think that's a joke? I don't... You need to explain that, because... It, so, the end oh, of the no, movie, no, no. there's a little oh, it's thing. Not. It's not. No. It's definitely... It's, not. it's part... There's going to be a part two. Oh, I thought yes. maybe it was a conceptual joke, and I missed it. That okay. would be a very cool joke, though. But, yeah, no, it's it's the this, it's this story... Uh, it's a story of a young artist um, from a sort of well-to-do family uh, who's gets into a relationship with a guy that she thinks is just kind of very cool, but part of it is that he's also very addicted to heroin, um, and she's kind of trying to find her artistic voice as a filmmaker and having the courage to pursue that and go to film school. Uh, And meanwhile, you know, her emotional life and and financial life are being kind of consumed by her, her boyfriend. And that's what this part is, and it's set in the early 80s in London, specifically in, in Knightsbridge. Um, so she's, I guess, sort of posh, although no one he actually... Is posh. No, <laughs> yes, she is posh. very posh. Her mother, it played wonderfully by Tilda Swinton, oh, yes. comes in when she enters. She looks like Queen Elizabeth II. <laughs> she's wearing this you know, completely hilariously dowdy outfit with a little kerchief. And, and a little handbag. A little yeah. handbag, handbag and a, a yeah. smart raincoat. And you expect a bunch of corgis to be frolicking <laughs> at her feet. I mean, it's just priceless. Yeah. But it's one of these really wealthy families where 
the mom is kind of penny pinching or pound pinching where she's like begrudging her like the money she wants to borrow, yep. the daughter wants to borrow. And they're, and they're like obviously really wealthy people. Yeah. And no, that's really good. Yeah, they have a grand house that they live in that they go for dinner at once. But she also lives at a flat that's, I guess, a duplex that in, in Knightsbridge and where she kind of has friends that she's supposedly subletting to, but she can't really keep track of it. Uh, and then ultimately, She's casually rich. She's casually, <laughs> casually rich, and which is, I guess, sort of part of her charm that she's kind of a very, like, earnest, naive, artistic voice. And, but is it feels the burden of... of you know, that self-consciousness about where she's coming right. from. Right, and but she's also, when she goes back home, she dresses alike with her mother, and they're both in these little plaid skirts and <laughs> colored tights and, yeah. you know, mummy. I mean, it's very... I, I was interested in seeing it because I really liked Joanna Hogg's movies. I think she's terrific, and she's also someone who hasn't really been on the festival circuit. She's just, uh, at least most of the festivals that I go to. And so I came to her a couple years back and was just, you know, really happy. And um, so... Um, I like this movie. I think it's not, I think I wanted it to be a little bit more, but it's so good. And one of the things that is, you know, that immediately grabs you is that the thing about Sundance, that their big mantra is storytelling, but it's a very kind of, you know, there can be really good stories there, but it's pretty, you know, if it, it follows a kind of very familiar template and she does not do that. She just doesn't follow. She follows her own template. She's doing something different. And so scenes just start and you just don't even know what's going on. You'll catch up. Don't worry. You know, yeah. but I love it because it's not fitting into, I mean, you know, one of the things that's upsetting about American independent cinema is it's not independent of aesthetic vision too often she does have an actual i mean that sounds so sweepingly condemning and i'm really sorry but it's freaking midnight um well it certainly she, feels that way here i mean yeah you know, it, absolutely because yeah, that's yeah. her thing you know they believe yeah. it's storytelling storytelling but it's a very familiar kind of story oftentimes well i don't know if this is on the list we just made we made a list of movies we've seen because we forget titles um <laughs> uh, but did we did anyone talk on the podcast about blinded by the light Linda no. Chaudhry's movie. That, I haven't seen that yet. Well, one of the most that. interesting things for me about Joanna Hogg's movie and Gurinder's movie is that they are polar opposites. They are both set in Britain. Uh, the Gurinder's movie is about uh, Pakistanis living in this Helen Earth town, which has been taken over kind of by the National Front. And a kid coming of age who finds himself when he discovers Bruce Springsteen. So it's a musical, Mm -hmm. all set to Bruce Springsteen Mm -hmm. with wide variety of people singing and dancing to Springsteen songs. It is relentlessly popular, this movie, just as I find Joanna Hogg's movie relentlessly artful. Mm-hmm. I think they are just polar opposites in that way, and it's so interesting to see them next to each other. Um, yeah, and I mean, I, I'm guessing that the just the style is probably different. Oh, from, from wildly blind, but, different. Yeah, wildly different. Wildly different, but they are both dealing with, because it's Britain, they're both dealing with class issues up front, and Blinded by the Light is set in... 87. So he comes very late to Springsteen, but at the height of Thatcherism, when Thatcherism Mm -hmm, has mm -hmm. really done its dirty Mm -hmm. work, and 35% of the population is suddenly unemployed. Um, And 
but he comes from a Pakistani family, but the family is so present. And so it's about someone trying to deal with the fact that their families have expectations. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're almost the same movie, but... Yeah, because her family, her mom and dad, she does, you know, live in a in this very, very expensive country house. But she's set up very nicely and clearly by her family. The bed that she sleeps in is just like something that's obviously some antique that's been handed down through generations. Yeah. It's actually a very funny bed. It's like a metallic relief yeah, but it's her, gold. Like it's a, a gold, horse or something. It's, a, it's gold. It looks Pounded it's gold or gilt, metal. and it's a. It's obviously you know been handed down, and it's through these little touches that are very nice. And her mother comes in and makes com. Was walking around with a lamp. Tilda Swinton walking around with a lamp, trying to place a lamp, and it's a very beautiful. You know, it's very well lighted apartment. It's you know two stories. It's right. in a very expensive part of right. the city. And of course, what we haven't said is that the two actors are actually mother and daughter. Right. Oh, right. Yeah, Honor, Honor Swinton Byrne, or, and for the actor, Tom Burke, maybe, I think. I don't know, but he's yeah. fantastically he's amazing. sleazy, isn't he's he? He's so sleazy, and he's, I mean, what I love about it is that at first you just think he's talking with this kind of Olympian auteur, auteur and, and then you realize, oh, wait, he's also an addict. But it's interesting how those two things kind <laughs> well, of Well, but his addiction, I mean, other. you I know, mean, he's he works for the State Department, uh, as we find out. Um, yeah. And one of the earliest scenes in the movie, they're discussing realism. It's actually quite wonderful. And this insanely ridiculous tea room that looks like they're basically kind of waiting for the queen to join them. And it's all guilt and quietly bustling servants. And what I was struck by is like how comfortable she is in that milieu. I mean, mm. I think that's the point of it is that you're supposed to see, yeah. I mean, the weight of hundreds and hundreds of years of colonial oppression are all just like nicely laid out in that room. Yeah. Um, but he served time in Afghanistan. And that's, and as soon as I heard that, I thought, I said, Oh, he's a junkie. Like I just assumed that that was the road oh, that wow. he had, yeah. that he has, but he has this kind of haughtiness to his, you know, it's like this indolent, haughty cat. I mean, he's really, really good. But yeah. he's also incredibly sleazy. He wears horrible little loafers that just <laughs> repel me. <laughs> yeah, there's one scene where he's just stalking about the house in a great coat for some yeah, reason. Yeah, it's like, it's like he <laughs> borrowed it from like the Napoleonic Wars, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, like... and I also, I also just want to mention like the way she's shooting a lot of these scenes, like that tea room scene mm -hmm. is in this really wide, wide shot. So you see everything and you almost have to pick them out a little at first. Um, and... But it's a relief to see someone who actually knows how to use film space i mean oh, you know yeah. that's one of the things is that and you know you want to be kind and you want to be patient but just you know god damn it use the frame yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. i just sit there just like you know getting incre incredibly impatient yeah i mean seeing this film is kind of a tonic here yeah, you know because no. there, there's no I mean, in a good way, there's no accident to the, to the framing and the lighting and the color like there there's particular shades of like pink and like this kind of light blue that that's you know very prevalent and even just in her close-ups of her and skin then just tone. every yeah. so often these like moments of incredible casual beauty like when yeah. the fan, when they would go walking in the countryside oh, yeah. that was just shocking beautiful scene and it's very funny because they have these two dogs that are running ahead yeah. 
but you're looking at this landscape and you realize just how ravishing it is. It's just absolutely beautiful. And she'll just drop that in. And then she'll have these kind of like very, these, she's using a lot of um, kind of frames within frames, mm -hmm. putting people in doorways, kind of a very, not, not unfamiliar kind of devices, but it works really well. Or having her two uh, lead characters in separate rooms, side by side in their separate rooms. So, you know, that sounds really obvious, but it's that she works at, you know, it's very, it's very nice and it just, it's organic. It doesn't feel contrived, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and even when something kind of comes to the fore, I, I felt like it was doing something. Like when she's shooting one of her student films in the soundstage, whenever she gets a phone call, she goes another room to go to, the, to, to take the call. And when she comes back, they always firmly close the door. <laughs> and I always feel like, okay, leaving behind the life, going to the art. And, you know, she's kind of coming into her own. No, it was a really yeah. satisfying movie. And it was, you know, it one of the things... I think, you know, we all like going to Cannes in a way because there's movies from all over the world, and that's really nice. And, I mean, I think I think Sundance has really tried to bring more non-Americans into the mix, which I mm. think is really a relief and really good. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Sundance is really different oh. this year than it's been before. Really, I, there's never been a year like this where movie. there are so many movies that have content that seemed to have begun by some filmmaking saying I have an idea that I want to make a film about mm -hmm. or there is a situation you know in the case of documentary filmmakers and the docs have always been stronger at yes. Sundance yes. Uh, because at least they have content mm -hmm. uh, but this year the fiction movies have content everything has content right. and the international array of movies is much bigger than yeah it's, it's much bigger yeah i think the diversity of actually film types you know that's actually really nice yeah and it's a relief you know because it's a relief because i haven't been necessarily thrilled with all of the american offerings that is my most diplomatic way of putting that right now <laughs> at 12 o'clock <laughs> would, would you be able to pick a favorite among the american films um i really liked we saw you and i saw nick and i saw oh, yeah. uh clemency oh yeah I yeah. like that a lot. I, like I thought um, yeah. this is a movie that could have been a you know done a certain way. And um, Alfre Woodard plays a warden at a um, maximum security prison that um, executes prisoners. So you know you can say a social issue movie, but it's handled really really well. Yeah. Um, she doesn't. One of the things that often happens, I think, with younger directors, but not necessarily younger directors, is a too much melodrama. You know, she actually mm. kind of scales the melodrama. It's not too, you know, she has personal issues, but it doesn't feel like it descends into melodrama to me. Um, and I love melodrama. This is not a, a knock against melodrama, but if you're trying to make a certain kind of movie and then you just, people just pile on incident after incident to try to make it seem interesting. And it's like, it's enough that she's a warden killing people. <laughs> yeah. You don't need to do anything else. And I think that the filmmaker, you yeah. know, really kind of follows that. And it's a very plain movie, but nice, you know, nicely done, um, not fancy. And it's, it's a, all the acting is really good across the board. Yeah. Really, really, really strong acting. And, you know, just kind of letting very simple setups, uh, very austere. We are, of course, in a prison, so... That's not a surprise. Um, but really with an emphasis on the acting. I also just caught up with Clemency today. And I, yeah, I guess it's just they, they managed just to make this movement of her. She's, she's like a consummate professional, but she has had to insulate herself from the work she does. And part of the movement of this film is actually 
allowing herself to feel something about it, which is a terrible thing to, to even have to do. And I don't know. So I found like the, the climax of the film, the climactic scene, pretty, pretty moving for that reason. And it has this terrific performance from a young actor who plays uh, a prisoner who's about to be, who's, who is on death row and whose execution is scheduled and will be the warden's 12th prisoner that she will have had to put to death. Um, and so she's reaching this crisis. I wasn't familiar with this guy. His name is Aldous Hodge. I thought it was just one of the best things I've seen. I, he's terrific. Yeah. And she does a lot of, I mean, I like the restraint. It's not too much talk. It's not too much explanation, which is one of the great um, weaknesses of American independent cinema is yeah. all the explaining. Yeah. Thank you. I got it. I got <laughs> it the first scene. Right. I don't need it again. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely been uh, something of an obstacle. Well, what should we move on to next? I guess, should we talk about one we just all saw? Late show? Late late, late night. Late night, late, late night. show, late night. late night. One of those things. Late, late night, night, which we should say got bought for... A zillion dollars. $13 million by Amazon, who must yeah. be feeling that they have to man up to Netflix or something. Right. Well, I think um, they're expanding. I think what they're kind of moving out of just doing like so-called art films or art house movies to do more popular stuff. And this actually fill, this fills that, that slot. I mean, I, you know, you can never judge a movie by the audience here because the audiences here are really, and I'm going to include us critics too cheap. You know, they're just like <laughs> people just applause, you know, applaud everything. But this was, this was gangbusters. This yeah. really played well in the room. Yeah. I laughed. I yeah. laughed. I laughed as well. Yeah. I was I laughed, grateful to and laugh. Then I confess, I fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but it is late. We've seen many movies yeah. today. That was, I think, number five for me. I mean, I, I, yeah, it's 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 scripts written by Mindy Kaling and who is fabulous. Who's fabulous? Who, 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 yeah, who also right plays yes, the, right. The, the, so the it's lead. The yeah. two leads are yeah. Mindy Kaling and yeah. Emma Thompson. And I'm sorry, I could just watched the two of them for yeah. like hours. It was really fun to watch yeah. them. Um, no, Emma Thompson, it's like, maybe she should have a show. I don't know. She was, she has a background in comedy. I know that. So I kept trying to figure out if she's playing, like who she's kind of modeled on. Is it Ellen? I mean, the, the shoes and the hair. No, it's modeled on a guy, for sure. You think? It's not modeled on a woman this part. I really? This character, no. No, Because she kind of dresses a little bit like Ellen. Yeah. I mean, physically. She kind of reminded me of some mix, I mean, just in terms of like, uh, mid to late eighties comedian wear. And David, yes. David Bowie. Yeah, no, and, no, I know. And maybe She's Tina Brown. I don't know. <laughs> well, the plot is that this uh, <laughs> that this comedian, this this late night uh, host, is stuck in a rut, and Mindy Kaling ridiculously gets a job on the show. I'm not going to even bother to go through the nonsense that <laughs> how she gets the job, but she gets the job, and then you know, of course, they clash. That's the whole point of the movie. But you know, it's completely obvious. There's not much going on visually, except that you've got these two incredibly, you know, watchable women who are really funny, being very funny. And that was enough. Uh, I mean, and I'm not ashamed of that. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> not at all. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, this this movie, something that keeps coming up, and I maybe I already said it in some some other episode, but like the idea of authenticity and that that's that's like your, your passport to success somehow. I mean, I find every other film talks about that in some way, and this is no different, even though it's a very different version of that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, because the she's got the the host in order to kind of reclaim her, you know, great her old glory has to be her more authentic self. So yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, I don't know that I have much more to say about late night, but no, there's not there's not a lot to say, but it's pleasurable, and we don't necessarily there doesn't need to be a lot. To, it was just enough. I was it's great, you enough. know. No, I just yeah. 
It's some, you know, this is, um, festivals aren't usually a laugh riot <laughs> for a lot of different reasons. Yeah. So it's actually a real nice thing to have a movie to laugh through. Yeah, that's true. Speaking of authenticity, does that come <laughs> into play with knocking down the house a bit? Um, I don't know. I'm knocking down the yeah. house is a documentary, uh, about, uh, four different women, who were running for office uh, last year. And uh, the filmmaker had the very good fortune or intelligence to pick as one of the four, guess who? Uh, <laughs> Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who is a sensational, you know, as you mean, I don't even, I don't need to sell her. You just, I watched her, I literally watched her make uh, lasagna soup the other day on Instagram. It's like, so she's incredibly charismatic. The thing that I liked about this movie, which is quite short and comes in under 90 minutes, so it's actually quite packed, um, is that it does show you what it takes if you, if you actually literally have no money, like you have a house, you know, so, but no money for a campaign. You're not part of any sort of machine. And you're like, okay, I want to run for office. How do I do that? And so you have these different women, one of whom is a nurse, um, one of whom we know was a bartender, oh, yeah. and who are like, okay, I'm going to do this. So what do you do? And so the movie, the most interesting thing is it's a process movie. It's really interesting in terms of like grassroots, just process on the ground. Like, okay, here are all these people. They've been in office for 14 years, 15 years. What do you do? How do you get them out when you basically have no money, when you're begging for people to give you $100? So that's stuff I really, really liked a lot. That's something I, I really want to catch up to, catch up with. And me, I don't want to oversell it. I really yeah. liked it. I just, but, and, but I thought it was just going to be like, she's so great. But it's, just, right. it's four different women in different parts of the country. And, uh, you know, one of them, we know how that turned out. But I really liked the process stuff. That was really interesting. Yeah. And uh, I think I said this earlier before before the podcast it's interesting because that kind of dovetails with what um alexandra ocasio cortez does as, as a politician now. absolutely kind of laying bare behind the scenes in very like all the details of it though so there's a scene which where she goes through and she does this kind of semiotic reading of her opponent's leaflet and it's just brilliant and it's just so great where she's just kind of like this is the victoria's secret ad that they sent out and she just kind of goes through the whole thing and it's great. I mean, it's just really brilliant. Um, but she just does this kind of reading of the of campaign literature. And I think, I mean, it's interesting because on the one hand, you know, we, the idea of authenticity is certainly, uh, you know, a, a great intellectual football. It's something to kick around a lot, right? And yet, you know, with someone like her, she's actually, she's pretty raw too. So it's kind of interesting. I don't know. I mean, she's playing a role. She knows it, you know, but she's also, she's very sincere, yeah. you know, so maybe yeah, authenticity is kind of besides the point. Yeah, yeah. You know, she's really interesting. Yeah. Amy? I haven't seen the movie. Oh, you haven't seen Oh, okay. No, but I could watch her, and I do watch her endlessly. I know. <laughs> yeah. Cinema Guild is proud to present The Wild Pear Tree from Palm d'Or winner Nuri Bilga Chelan. Following in the great tradition of family dramas like Death of a Salesman and Long Day's Journey into Night, the Wild Pear Tree weaves an evocative tale of creative struggle and familial responsibility with inspired performances, sumptuous imagery, and surprising bursts of humor. A critical hit when it premiered at Cannes, The Wild Pear Tree is now playing at Film Forum. 
Pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment, with features on Jean-Luc Godard's The Image Book and Aretha Franklin's Amazing Grace, and a special section on the best films of the year, plus reviews of the latest releases. Subscribe today at filmcomment.com. Well, let's let's catch up with, uh, you You did see something you mentioned, uh, The Last Black Man in San Francisco? Yeah, we did. Yeah. I haven't seen oh, that yet. I'm oh, seeing that seen tomorrow. It. Yeah, oh, okay. you're seeing it. You guys saw it, right? I saw it. I've, I've nattered on a little bit about it already, but I haven't, um, Amy... I found it a kind of thorny movie on a number of levels. Thorny. Yeah. I liked it. In some places, I really loved it. In some places, you know, it just totally fell apart. There are now, I think, this is a thing, um, movies that radically change tones and go from having scenes that are extremely naturalistic this one doesn't have really naturalism, but something close to naturalism. And then scenes that are incredibly theatrical and are close to the way per- people perform in musicals, mm-hmm. except this this film never becomes a full-out musical in that mm-hmm. sense. But it's a really theatrical performance style in a film where the leading character has a fantasy and the fantasy is what keeps him alive, and he lives it out in the movie. And when that is working, it is really, really moving. Well, now I really want to see it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it, it is a movie where they, you know, they do pay attention to the framing and the colors and everything, and the production design on it is kind of, kind of amazing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it almost feels fantastical just when it's being really real. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, yeah, I kind of already talked about what, what bothered me a bit about it. Just the, just the sense of how they pull the rug out from the characters at the end by kind of upending their premise, you know, a little about, I guess, well, it's interesting you say that it's a fantasy. From the outset, I didn't think it was a fantasy that he had. Was that, was that how you saw it? Like, very early on, clearly, this is something... I didn't know very early on. Yeah. That this thing, that this story he was telling himself and everyone else about this house, that it wasn't a true story. I did not know that. But when I found that out, I understood the way the character had behaved throughout the movie much better. And for me, that was a kind of revelation that was really moving. Mm, yeah, yeah. Did you see, I know we didn't put this on our list, our little cheat list that we said, little uh, cheat sheet. Um, did you see The Mountain, the Rick... Uh, I have Alberson. seen the mountain. Yeah. Oh, okay. You already yeah. seen it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was with it until the last half an hour. Yeah. You know, until uh, Denny Levant comes down and just kind of sucks all the air out of the movie, yeah. which is, of course, Alverson doing himself. But yeah. I mean, you know, he's talented. It's just, I mean, it's, I think it's interesting his, his relationship to his audience in terms of pleasure, you know, and the kind of cinema of displeasure, yes. which is so much his thing. Yeah, uh, This is uh, Jeff Goldblum, really good, playing a, a kind of traveling lobotomist. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, I'm sorry I laughed. It's, hor- it's a horrible story, but it's actually yeah, it's, made in a really kind of yeah. odd, surreal way. And it's really... I mean, it's, you know, it's very careful. The production design, that's why you mentioned production design oh, yeah. for the other movie. I think the production design is fantastic. Yeah. It looks great, you know, very carefully done. Really good performances. It starts to feel like the master at one yes. point, very strongly, in a, which is maybe not a good thing for the movie. Um, <laughs> sorry, it just isn't because no, he's not true. Paul Thomas Anderson. Um, and then it just loses completely, out, it goes out of control. But I mean, you know, you're watching basically a, a lobotomist going from one place to the other, 
lobotomizing people. And, you know, yeah. that's an unusual Sundance movie. Yeah, it is. And he's he's so casual about it, too. I mean, yes, it's, he is. <laughs> it's, it's just it's like it's the traveling salesman lobotomist, basically. Yeah. I mean, it's just funny to see someone with like that kind of I'm being treated with this medical authority and then you start wondering, geez, is that all it took? Just kind of like no, it's, I mean, be it's, self-assured and you can cut someone's head open. I don't know. Yeah, so. no, it's a pretty, and I, I'm is not. Is it a midnight movie? No, it's, um, but it's by someone who, again, is really interested in the, you know, the cinema of displeasure. Yeah, I mean, I guess the other two movies are um, the comedy and entertainment um, which both of them like tap directly. I, I, I felt into like a kind of Williamsburg hipster, like an, an annoyingness, you know, yeah. um, where you're supposed to hate the person on screen who may probably hate themselves and hate the very idea of what they're doing. With and his epic comb over. Yes. The epic comb over yeah, yeah. entertainment, right. Yes. Yeah. Um, which is kind of ironically set, uh, interspersed with these Antonioni kind of like landscapes. Um, they're hard to watch. I mean, it's hard to watch. Yep. He's he's an insult comedian too in that one, mm -hmm, insult comic. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I guess the guy, the comedy essentially is too. But yeah, this falls in with it. Although I guess it has a bit more heart than those maybe. I don't know. Yeah, well, we're not going to talk about the ending. Or <laughs> Are we allowed to talk about the ending? I mean, um, it's just like, you know. But, I, but I, don't, I haven't seen it. Okay. I don't okay. want you to talk about that. Okay, <laughs> we don't. But I, I mean, the thing yeah. is that, you know, it's, I'm not sure I know if it's about anything, but I don't mm -hmm. really care. Like yeah. in some ways it's, I think it's just the experience of watching it and yeah. watching these, you know, kind of beautiful gross rooms. And I, I don't know if it's supposed to be some about America. And I really kind of doubt it. And I really don't <laughs> think that it matters again. I think yeah. it's just, it's an interesting object until it's kind of like an interesting object. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. Um, America is a, a common topic here, though. Yes. I've noticed it as a theme in a number it's of It's shocking, yeah. but true. <laughs> Who would have thought there'd yeah. be people would have things to say about the country? Yeah, I think loose might fall into that category. Loose is interesting, though. Yeah. I don't think it's a... I th so loose is about a family. Interestingly, one of the interesting things about it um, is that the family is pay played by Naomi Watts and Tim Roth, right. who are also the family in the the terrible remake of Funny Games. Right. Yes. yes. And kind of a similar social, economic class of people, too. Nice. Like, they're not quite upper class, but they're kind of upper middle class, comfortable. The amount of wine that they drank was just, I was laughing my ass <laughs> off the whole time. They're just like, it's constantly like, basically very earnest uh, white people uh, talking about important subjects over, you know, huge pours of wine. It's just my <laughs> life. That's my life in a bucket, right there. Right there. Um, but, and they've adopted um, a young kid from Eritrea when he was seven, and he was a child soldier is the implication. And he's grown up to be someone that people kind of either admiringly or scoffingly compared to another Obama except it's very complicated and there's all sorts of things happening. But the one thing I would say, this is um, Octavia Spencer is so good in this movie because she's often, I think, misused in movies that people ask her to turn the volume up and the volume stays up. Um, and it's just a really good, okay. and he has a really weird relationship with his teacher and it's, and it's becomes a really bizarre, you don't know if he's a psychopath or not. That's, that's the stuff that I really thought was interesting. Yeah. I really had 
major problems with this movie, and the major problem that I have with it is it's so badly overwritten. And it is one of those movies that is so typical of the movies that you see here at Sundance. It is, you just want, and it's not only overwritten, it's that the music comes in to underscore every single line. It's just they're pounding away, and these people are saying things that you would like to be drawn into yeah, the multi-levels yeah. of yeah. what is going on here, but you never have time to be because they're always composing their thoughts and speaking them. I did, and I, I was did, so did. embarrassed for them, for those actors having to say those words. I mean, I thought they were valiant, but... Yeah. And the only successful performance for me in the film is a woman who plays Octavia Spencer's... Sister. Paranoid schizophrenic sister, hmm. and she doesn't say anything because she is hysterical all the time, and she weeps and cries and yells, and at one point takes off all her clothes and goes mad in the middle of a classroom, and she is the movie, and it's just like, whoa, <laughs> you can do so much without opening your mouth. Why don't the I, understand I this? would say I like it more than you because I actually I think because I think it is complicated. It's the problem is is this tendency to write out everything. This is an American movie problem though. The mm-hmm. the over explaining of everything is such a an American cinema problem. You know, it's yeah. just it's just it drives me crazy. And so I don't, you know, it's too much. It's too much. But I, and nonetheless, I found the portrait of the kid really interesting. And in terms of talking about race, really interesting. And there's, I think there's, I really, really like the scene between, well, I think his performance is really good because he's scary and you can't tell, is he nice? And he's being set up. He or doesn't is, know himself. He, it yeah, is a very right. good performance. It's really good. He does good. not know he's keeps what will come out of him. him. And he's got terrifying smiles. He does these really creepy, the smile that he gives Naomi Watts at that one moment, you're yeah. just like, whoa, it's a horror movie. <laughs> right, yeah, leave <laughs> so the house. It's like, whoa, what's happening? And that's really good. And that's like that stuff is really good. And the conversation, because he goes after this teacher who's kind of calling him out. And it's really scary what he does, you know, and yet, the movie keeps saying, well, what, did, did he do it? Did he do it? Like, he, he, you know, that stuff really works. But all the, like, talking that Tim Roth and, and Naomi Watts have, it's too much talking. I absolutely agree with that. The over, you know, less yeah. wine, less talk. <laughs> Maybe more wine, less talk. I'm not yeah. sure. Whatever, whatever the opposite of, like, old uh, radio show ads used to be, like, you know, yeah. less talk, more music. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> less talk, more movies, or I don't know what. But, I, you know, at least I have to say it was interesting and it gave me something to think about, you yeah. know, and, to th- you know, it, it gauged me. Um, yeah. Even as I completely agree with what Amy was saying about, I wasn't embarrassed for them, but I was like, ah, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, we've, we've sort of run to our typical episode length what? at this point. Yeah, I, I, We're just I'm getting just, started. No, I'm just, <laughs> I'm no, no, I, I um, have to go to sleep. <laughs> yeah, but any, any last, uh, last comments about the festival generally? Well, or? I thought it was a, I thought the festival was really terrible until two days ago, so I'm in a better mood than I was. I mean, yeah. it's amazing what seeing a couple good movies can turn you around a bit. Um, yeah. I think the consensus has been that it's been a pretty weak year, yeah. and, and I don't think anything has popped you know, there's mm-hmm. nothing that's right. really, I mean, last year was actually a very strong year. So maybe it's unfair. And there are good years and bad years. I don't know what's going on at Sundance. And part of me is just not really interested in always that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but like the new new programming. Yeah, like I don't stuff. know. Yeah. I mean, it's really hard to know. But um, I have finally started to see some movies I like, so I'm I'm revived. <laughs> Cautiously optimistic, yes. as the economists might say. <laughs> um, Amy, where? Um, um, I don't know. I mean, I've seen maybe two movies that I really like, and both of them are documentaries. That's and, pretty good, though. Um, do we talk about we talked about both both of them, right? Or we do, one of them is Honeyland, and the other one oh, is uh, One Child Nation. Oh, one Child, one Child Nation. Nation. We oh, didn't talk about wow. that? We haven't, no. Wow, oh. that's really good. That's one of the yeah. best things here. Are we out of time? Yeah. I mean, yeah. that is Please. really one of the best That is one yeah. of the best things here. Um, it's the same woman who made Hogan Sparrow. Oh, yeah, which was also here. Yeah. And, but uh, this is a much, much, I mean better made oh, film yeah. no, in no, the sense that she knows how to shoot now. No, no, she's become, a, she's become a filmmaker. Is very powerful yeah, as yeah. well. Uh, this is like, it is real. it makes China a really, really scary place. I mean, what she, what she's so good at, she's Chinese. By um, the way, yes, and she's, she, she left and China she six left years ago. when she was 16. And she, in this movie, says, well, there's a picture of me in my school chorus, singing this propaganda about, you know, with big smiles plastered across the face for this. For China, we make this a one-child nation, which meant, and this is interesting in terms of the United States and the issue around abortion in the United States, China forced women to be sterilized or have abortions, often in their eighth and ninth month They induce pregnancy. pregnancy, which is, and it, yeah, it's And so horrifying. you see, um, you see dumps, garbage dumps, filled with fetuses that are nearly full term. Yeah, it's this a is, very hard movie to watch. And, um, and she found, talked to people who were midwives, people who lost their children, people who are who realized at a certain point that their children were stolen and sold to orphanages. She's got the whole panorama. But the thing that comes through in the movie is how many people who did this still feel that they did the right thing because China's population needed to be stopped. Right. I mean, I think she, it's really interesting what she does is, is she just talks about what is the effect of living in a country where you're just repeating propaganda. And she's she gets very angry about it, and her passion is really it becomes very powerful because she says what everyone keeps saying. What could I do? What could I do? What could I do? This kind of learned um, helplessness because you have this paternalistic society, and this is the for the greater good. You all have to go along. Nobody, you know, and everyone's like, oh, okay. This is her. This is what her opinion is, and it's very powerful and it's very persuasive. And I mean, I'd known a lot about the policy, not to this level. And she, and a lot of the people she talks. I mean, some of the people she talks to are in her own family. Yeah, you know, and that's yeah. really quite devastating. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a movie where I, I come to come to the end of it, and I I don't know what to do with what I've seen yeah, in a way because you see so many ordinary people who are saying, "Yeah, I did that." The policy is policy, and we what were could, probably right anyway. What could I do? What could I do? And I don't know what to do with that because there are hundreds of thousands of more, and and the numbers of people were killed. So, yeah, what do I think of? And you don't want to generalize, but you know. No, like I mean, I think it's. Policy, I think one of the but, things is that we don't think about the fact. I mean, China is a totalitarian state, and, and, yeah. you know, <laughs> and I think it's. I think it's very overwhelming to 
even I don't know what you, I mean. We're, I feel very helpless. I mean, yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. I don't know what to do. I mean, it, it, so that's a very weird position to be in. But I also think it's a a, a place of great. You should feel very uncomfortable, and yeah. I think you should think of you know. I think that's really important. And I think that's what she wants. I think yeah. so too. And she just leaves take you there. Away to be. She just leaves you there. This yeah. is what happened. Yeah. And it's ghastly. It's ghastly beyond belief. And I'm very curious about what will happen to this movie in the United States because mm. I think there will be people who do not understand that the movie is not about the horror of abortion. It's about the horror of not letting women control their own bodies right. and making those decisions. But I think it will be very easy for this movie to be picked up by the extreme right sure, but of you have the to have, anti-abortion movie. Right, and that's a danger, but I, she is so clear that this is about having choice and choice to carry a pregnancy to term, you know? That's, you know, your body's like you either want a child or you don't want a child. What you don't want is the state actually taking you and inducing an early birth and then killing your child, literally killing your child. And usually specifically... Girls. Girls, yeah. There's that other whole chilling thread about how they, they would leave babies at the market yeah, just to be picked up, and sometimes they weren't, so they just died, died there. They just died. Or they drowned them. Or they drowned them, yep. yeah, like puppies or oh, something. Oh, wow, this is so <laughs> grim. I'm so sorry, everybody. It was a very upsetting movie. <laughs> I think that people should yeah. go see it. I, I, I think it's yeah. going to get distribution if it doesn't already have distribution. It's really tough, though. It's a yeah. very, very tough movie. Oh, no, it is it is a movie that has all of uh, ITVS, and it, it definitely will be on your television set on the PBS. No, but I'm channels. also, I think it might get the, some theatrical. They were mm-hmm. talking about that, so. Yeah. Amy, I think you, you called it at some point, like, the best horror movie of the year. So. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, and the saddest. And the saddest, yeah. Uh, I, is, that the, is that the note we go out there on? There we go. That? Another <laughs> another evening at Sundance. Sundance, Risk Independence. Thank you uh, for having us. Yeah, it's well, thank really you so fun. much, Manola, for being here. And thank you, thank Amy. You. And a big thanks to our, our hardworking um, at the office, uh, Clint and Michael. Thank you. Um, well, good night. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Film Comet Podcast with music by Greg Einge. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Film Comet is a bi-monthly magazine published by the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comet has featured in-depth features, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, arthouse, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomet.com to purchase a print or digital subscription to Film Comet. Or check out our app, available on Android, iOS, or Kindle.